Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Uh, well, uh, we are in this series. It's complicated. And this week, uh, we are looking at, for better, for worse, what we're using are the traditional marriage vows as a grid, a structure uh, for this series. Uh, last week was uh, in particular for people who are single or dating. And it was I take you, how to, how to find the right one. And so if you're uh, single and weren't here last week, you're going to want to listen uh, to that one. This week's message is primarily for married couples, although honestly, it's going to apply to almost anyone because we all go through those better or for worse moments. Uh, uh, last weekend was a, a great weekend here at our church. It was the biggest fall weekend we had ever had and uh, launched our Castle, Castle Rock campus. God just doing some amazing things. But even more important is what God started to do in people's lives as they opened up uh, to him. And so we're going to learn a lot of great stuff about relationships uh, today and in, as we, in the next couple weeks in this series. But no, the most important relationship we can have is really with Jesus. And so uh, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're going to find some great tools. Uh, but there's something that happens when we allow God to be present front and center in our life. Now, some people are surprised by difficulty in a marriage relationship. Uh, some aren't. Uh, there's some vows that I came across on the internet. We know they must be real because everything on the internet's true, right? Uh, and so uh, these are vows that people uh, came, uh, came up with that they used in their ceremonies. Uh, this is one I promise you to, uh, to comfort you when the Seahawks lose and drink beer with you when they win. And uh, that's an interesting vow there. Uh, another vow is this one. I promise to love you even when you refuse to let me watch football, to cherish you when you blow one week's salary on yet another handbag, and to understand you when you're mad at me because of something that happened in a dream. <laughs> now, if you're single, you don't get that. If you're married, you totally get that. Uh, Here's another vow. I promise to fight by your side in the zombie apocalypse. And if you should turn into one, I promise to let you bite me so I can be one too. Uh, that's sort of sweet and weird all at the same time. Uh, here, here's a, a final one. I promise to be true to you, to uplift you and support you, to frustrate you and challenge you, and to share with you the beautiful moments of life. Someday, if the stars align, I might even let you win an argument. Well, those come... There are arguments, there are outside challenges that will come to any relationship. It's how we navigate them that determines our happiness in life and the longevity of those relationships. Now, by the way, there's only your part. And you're only responsible to God to do your part. So, so know that. Uh, but just because someone else isn't doing their part, don't uh, try to, to, to say, God, I don't need to do my part. Uh, the first fight my wife and I ever had, uh, really the first real argument, we never had an argument while we were dating up until the day we picked up the marriage license. 
And I'm like, this was a bad sign. I really, and I'm like, okay. Uh, and you think about this, and some of us look at like, ooh, is something going to go bad because there was this bad sign? I did a wedding not too long ago. Great couple. They attend one of our other campuses. And beautiful ceremony in the middle of it. I've never had this happen. The, uh, the maid of honor leans over and whispers into my ear. She goes, I forgot his wedding ring. And I said, bummer. Uh, no, I, I didn't say that. Being the pastor ninja that I am, I, I, I took off my wedding ring, and this has been on there uh, quite a while. I gave it to her, so it's going okay, but then uh, the wedding ceremony comes to the ring part. She hands the ring to the bride, and the bride gets this look on her face like this. When she's looking at the ring, she looks at the maid of honor. She looks at me, can see I don't have a ring on. And then finally she just goes with it and she uh, puts it on his finger. And now I have the, like this weird connection to this guy that, uh, <laughs> so, you know, there, there will be things in life that don't go as planned. Uh, and we are not the first group of people to deal with that. Uh, in the scripture, uh, we, we looked last week in the book of Genesis, God's original design for this marriage relationship that uh, many of us, uh, most of us at some point will enter into. Uh, but then there's the problems that come along the way. And Jesus, uh, he, he quotes that passage, but he also addresses a problem as the religious leaders of the day, they came to Jesus. They were trying to trick him, really. But I think in it, they were asking a legitimate question. What do you do when the pain of a relationship is, seems greater than the relationship itself. So here's what we read uh, in the scripture. Some of the Pharisees came to him and test him. They asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus, now, now let's stop there for a moment. Uh, in, in that culture, in almost every culture in the world at that time, women had no rights. A woman could never initiate a divorce. This wasn't allowed or legal. Only the man had the prerogative. And all he would have to do is say, I divorced you three times. And the woman would be out on the street. She would get none of the assets. And so Jesus comes into the picture. And not only does he uphold the sanctity of marriage, but there's this sense of care as well. If you will do a serious historical study, you'll see how Jesus engaged with women was completely different than any other religious leader that had ever come before him. And so uh, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He's saying, Remember what this was originally about. Remember when the relationship was bigger than the problem. Now, I know that there are some of you who hear this, and this is an encouragement to you. This is what you're aspiring to. You're not married yet, but this is what you're aspiring to. Or, or you are married, and you say, this is what we're committed to. But I know there's others of you who you're thinking, okay, I'm divorced. And uh, maybe... Uh, in the Bible, there are biblical reasons for divorce where that's allowable. But, but maybe you're thinking of the things that you did wrong. Maybe, maybe you would even say, hey, this was mostly my fault. And there can be this sense of this weight of guilt and unworthiness. 
Well, we'll know what the Scripture says. In the middle of the book of Romans, which is really the theology book of the Bible in the New Testament, in the middle chapter, which is the most significant chapter of that book in many ways, it starts off in Romans 8.1. It is in the Bible, not in your outline. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Jesus went to the cross that you would be forgiven. Why are you taking a burden, why are you picking up a burden that God has let go of? So, so don't hear it with that. And some I know you're here, and, and especially with, uh, on this campus and the other campuses, I know there are some of you, you're at the end of your, you, end of your rope. You don't feel any hope. Maybe you've already uh, filed papers, and you're like, this seems like a, a sentence to unhappiness the rest of my life. Here's what I'd ask, and I'm not, I'm not judging you in any way. I, the circumstances that got you to where you are, I don't know. I'm just asking, would you be open to God? You can't do anything about the past, but in this moment, if you find yourself there, would you be open to God and what he'd have for you? Well, as we uh, look at the scripture, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time is uh, I want to see how we move forward. But before we do that, we need to understand how we get there in the first place. Uh, and it's not always conflict. In fact, there's five ways I thought of in particular. One is just self-inflicted wounds. What do I mean by that? We did something wrong. You know what the Bible calls that? The Bible calls that sin. And when we, when we sin, we, we interject something into a relationship that'll cause tension and difficulty. By the way, if you, if you find yourself in relationship in relationship after relationship, and it's, you can't believe how you always end up with this, the other person is so wrong, and you can't see your own sin, let me tell you, that's a self-awareness problem. I don't say this to be mean, but if you've been in multiple relationships and it's always the other person, then you're, you're going to be destined to repeat that pattern for the rest of your life until you can say, hey, here's where, this is my part. I'm owning my part in the relationship. And then there's no fault problems. What do I mean by this? There's things where you can be in a marriage relationship. It's not anyone's fault. Uh, one of you is an introvert. One of you is an extrovert. So there, that can cause some tension when you're around people. One of you is an early morning riser. One of you gets up a little bit later like sensible people. You know, uh, you, you have uh, these differences. It, there's no fault in this. But what you do with these no fault problems, how you interact with them can be a cause of pain if you don't recognize them for what they are. And then there's external circumstances. A job loss, a job transfer, uh, a death of a loved one, a health concern of your own. And then four, there's unresolved conflict. Uh, now, this is not only conflict in a relationship, in a marriage. This can be conflict from your past. This can be the conflict you had with your previous spouse that you brought into your new relationship and, because you haven't resolved it. Now you're punishing them for something that someone else did. I mean, we do this, by the way, all of this applies to uh, people who aren't married as well. People will do this even in their work environment. Uh, I, I literally interviewed a guy once, and he, uh, 
I think he'd been in a, in a bad work environment before. And so he wasn't going to let anyone take advantage of him. And so during the interview, he told me all the things that he would not do. And I said, you don't even need to worry about it. <laughs> and he didn't get the job. You know why? Because he brought his baggage into the interview. And career-wise, by the way, I've seen this time and time again. Where people will have a bad work experience, they'll bring that into their new work experience, and it creates problems that, that you never were meant to have. Maybe it's an issue with a parent. And then uh, there's the, issue, the conflict between the two of you that you haven't really worked on and brought out into the open. And then there's common marriage struggles. These are, you know, uh, uh, what does uh, sexual intimacy look like in the marriage? Uh, how do we parent? What do we do when that little blessing from God gets up six times in the middle of the night? Uh, you know, these are just common problems. Now, how we respond to these will determine the joy and often the longevity of the relationship we're in. And as I was thinking about this, not only from a biblical perspective, but also from a practical perspective, I was thinking about what have I observed in people who've navigated for better or for worse well. And, and here are some of my observations uh, in what I find in Scripture. Uh, one is they tend to eliminate the white noise in their marriage or life. There's so many things that will beg for our attention, that'll, that'll clamor for uh, all that we have, and oftentimes, we don't focus on what we need to focus on. It says in Proverbs 4.25, Let your eyes gate straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to your paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. It's saying keep focus. You know when we get focus? A crisis. If you've been around here before, uh, you've heard me tell the story. In fact, it happened a year after I got here. It was a time of transition during the church, and uh, we were growing as well, so that was good. But in the middle of that, uh, we took my daughter to the hospital. It was, remember the swine flu when that was out, and everyone was worried about the swine flu? Well, she had a pain in her stomach, and so we took her to the doctor, and uh, I'm a pretty direct guy. And so I said, hey, here's what we're really worried about. Does she have the swine flu, or is it appendicitis? So he did the exam. At the end of it, he looks us in the eyes and he goes, it's definitely not appendicitis and it's definitely not the swine flu. We take her home. She gets worse and worse. The pain gets worse. In fact, one night, it's really horrible. So we're like, okay, we take her to the doctor the next day and the doctor says her appendix had burst. And so she, we had to rush her to the hospital and it was so bad, they couldn't even really take all the stuff out because it was pretty precarious uh, situation. And she was in the hospital night after night after night. Well, uh, finally, it gets a little bit better. Uh, they're doing, uh, can do the surgery to take out some of the stuff. But then she gets worse. In fact, she's worse every day. And uh, the doctors look at us and say, we don't know what's going on. And uh, it's... One of those moments uh, that everything became real clear. Now, later on, they found out one of the surgeons in the first surgery had punctured her stomach and all that stuff went in. And so uh, they were able through an exploratory surgery, but she spent weeks and weeks in the hospital. All the things that seemed super important 
didn't seem as important. You know, the, the, the yard that I had been needing to get to. I mean, it was, yeah, you need to mow your lawn and all of that, but it, it I didn't seem as important. When someone, even someone at church, hey, the music is too loud. I'm like, well, you won't like heaven. It's going to be loud there. The, uh, <laughs> there is an alternative. I just wouldn't suggest it. So, uh, but, you know, normally that would have bothered me. But I realized this is my child and this is my family and my wife and I probably had some of the best conversations that we've ever had in our life. Here's the key. Don't let yourself get to a crisis before you change. Change before you have to. Don't wait until uh, papers are served. Say, okay, hey, there's a problem. Let's go ahead and let's focus. Let's, you know, yeah, I know. The, the kids aren't going to be in three sports this year. It's just not going to happen. It's not that important. We're going to focus on us, and we're going to focus on God and say, God, do you have a plan for my life? Because you will focus on God and, and his plan for your life. It's just a matter of when. Are you going to wait for a crisis? Or are you going to understand his peace and his power right now in this moment? And so when the crisis comes, you'll say, okay, this is what I'm walking through, but I'm not walking through it alone. In fact, if you uh, were here last week, we handed out these bracelets. No one stands alone. And that's our commitment that uh, we want every person to be connected with uh, God through Jesus Christ and with another person. And then secondly, don't make your spouse the enemy. Remember when we looked at the problems, some of them have nothing to do with your spouse. But here's what we tend to do is we let our guard down around our spouse because they're the person we know the best and we trust the most. And so here's what we'll do is we'll let our guard down and we'll say things to them that we would never say to another person. And we will not work on the problem. We say you're the problem. And again and again, and that just creates a toxic atmosphere. We all do it. I mean, it can start little things. Other day, I lost my wallet. Couldn't find my wallet. My wife and I were driving someplace, uh, and uh, she was driving, which is a whole other story. But the, uh, I couldn't find my wallet. I always put it on the island in our house so I can find it. Well, my wife is a wonderful uh, person, and she likes to clean up, and she likes to put my wallet where it's supposed to be. I never know where that is, by the way. Uh, and so... I, I went in. The good news is I've, I, I've learned a lot. I didn't accuse her right away. But I, I also spoke in probably this kind of voice. I said, hey, honey, do you know where my wallet went? And uh, she goes, nah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, could have you possibly put it someplace while you were straightening up? She, no. And then so, so I finally get in the car and I'm sort of like, holding my arms like a five-year-old boy uh, and uh, because I just, I, I don't know, I was bummed I didn't have my wallet. So we're going and we're driving along, but then all of a sudden God showed up in such a powerful way. He miraculously put my wallet in my pocket. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Uh, so, okay, now to make it worse after I had Done, treated my wife poorly, she at this point is, she saw me over there like sort of looking weird and nervous. And she goes, honey, don't worry. When we get home, we'll look for the wallet together. She's been really nice to me at this point. And so what do you do? 
Well, I did uh, really the only thing a man can do is I took my wallet when she wasn't looking and put it on the floor of the car. <laughs> and, uh, I, and literally, I thought, this is wrong. And so uh, finally, uh, in this true story, finally I confessed to her today at the 8.30 service. <laughs> okay, I'm having a little bit of fun here. Where has there been a misunderstanding and you automatically went to warfare? And now you can't understand why are they reacting that way? Where has been the, the thing that you can own that your pride has kept you from? You know, the scripture says God opposes the proud. God will work actively against you in your pride. It's not a neutral thing. It says God hates pride. You know what? But it says again and again when there's humility... A humble heart. God never turns anyone away. He'll never. I don't care what you've done, where you've been. God will never turn you away in your humility. I've talked to people whose spouses them have struggled. And we've seen marriage after marriage restored here. We've seen some where it didn't work out. But I've seen people in humility say, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what the outcome is. See, see, we're to have this, this sense of love for one another, and, and we see problems as a problem, not our, our spouse as a problem. Proverbs 5.18, it says, may your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Saying, find the joy. God wants you to have joy in it. Jesus, he talks about this again. And then the Apostle Paul, he takes it this uh, much further in the Scripture where uh, he, he talks to us and, and, and he tells us that we're to love our spouse as Christ loved the church. That just as uh, Jesus gave himself up for us. And think about it. Who was in the right and who was in the wrong? We were in the wrong. And he made the first move. And here, I know why, I know why you won't make the first move. Because you're afraid you're, admit, you're saying, letting the other person off the hook, or you're saying that it was your fault. You're not doing that. You know what you are? You're being mature. And the mature person makes the first move. You know who holds her arms, stamps her feet, and wants her own way? The child. And the Bible says that we're to put behind us our childish ways and to walk into God's plan and purpose. But we can't do this alone. We need to, uh, number three, engage, don't disengage with others. That we allow other people in our sphere of influence, uh, that we, uh, we, we talk about this uh, a lot with our growth groups. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, a great psychologist, he works with Fortune 100 companies across America. And uh, he, he says this, in a crisis, uh, I think it's the Marine Corps, they always ask two questions. Where's my enemy and where's my buddy? And, and you're going to need that. In fact, you're going to need it before the crisis hits. That's why there's an encouragement. We encourage you to engage with other people. I'm not the type of person who, uh, when the growth group catalogs out, I'm not like, oh, goody, which group am I going to be in? I'm like, and I think, I don't know if it's like some people and maybe even more so men where I'm like, oh, I'm hesitant 
to take that move, to make that move. But I'm always glad that I did. And I think there's honestly, if we were going to be a little bit honest, there's a fear of vulnerability. And we're just not sure if we believe that the Bible is true, where it says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there among you. But God shows up in a powerful way, because you will need someone. You know, uh, otherwise you'll be in a crisis. And, you know, when you're in a crisis, don't go in the lobby after service and say, hey, my life's falling apart. Want to be my friend? <laughs> no, because <laughs> that's weird. That's probably not going to happen. We'll support you and love you. But that real friendship that you need, that needs to happen ahead of time. It says in uh, Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Now, uh, th this, this message in particular is, is primarily for married people. And one of the things we've talked about is our re-engage ministry. And uh, the people who lead that actually... One of the reasons they came to lead that is that they were working through uh, some of their own problems. Very good friends of ours, uh, uh, Terry and Sherry, and great leaders. And he had a big responsible job with one of the larger corporations uh, in this region. And a lot of crisis hit. And it's out of that that their passion to help people along the way. And so I don't want to explain their story or all what this uh, re-engage is about. I thought I'd let them tell a little bit of their own story. I'm Terry Hill. I'm Sherry. And we've been coming to Timberlake for about 14 years now. And what we really liked about Timberlake was just the, they were so inviting and encouraging and... It felt like home pretty quickly. And, uh, you know, kind of say there's times where you've been somewhere two weeks and it feels like five years. And sometimes you've been in the place five years, it feels like two weeks. But really Timberlake in two weeks or three weeks, we felt really at home here. Well, one of the ministries here is Re-Engage. And it's really for couples in all states of where their marriage is, whether it's young couples or older couples, whether you think you have a really, really good marriage or, you know, quite frankly, if your marriage is on the rocks, it's just a place where you can learn about Christ and really understand what Christ means, first of all, to you personally, and then how Christ would have you live that in your marriage. Definitely starts with yourself. And yeah. I mean, marriage has all different kinds of seasons. Some are better than others. Some are really rough and struggling. And wherever you're at, um, everyone can work on their marriage and enrich it. And, and God, can, God can help you where, wherever you're at. Really, 2012, 2013 was a season that was really, really rough because Sherry's mom passed away. Six months later, my mom passed away. Sherry was diagnosed with lymphoma. The day, quite frankly, that we heard that she was in remission, our son was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And I had was struggling with a lot of things of work and pressure and things. I was pretty mad at God for that whole thing. And I just looked at this and said, you know, I'm gonna just do this. You know, I'm gonna do this on my own. Really what it came back to was, I wasn't being the husband I needed to be. I wasn't being the father I needed to be through all this time. And Christ has the answer. There was this joy and there's this peace that came through just knowing what God had for us and he was right there for us. 
and nothing is too hard or too difficult or too messy for God. He can take any situation, any relationship, and He can heal it no matter where it's at. You know, this last time we had a couple, a couple of couples that they felt their marriage was really, really strong. They got a lot out of it. But also, we've had situations where someone came in, quite frankly, with divorce papers ready to go. And they kind of looked at each other and thought, you know, this is our last hope. And we've seen all kinds of issues, whether it's you know, infidelity or all kinds of substance abuse or wherever you are, you know, God is the hope and the answer. If you're sitting there thinking, you know, it's too late, God can't do that or I can't do that, I would just say, come give it a try because you never know where God is going to flex. And we've seen that. We've seen couples where, quite frankly, they were tired, they were worn out, they were ready to give up and God showed up in a magnificent way, and it was wonderful to see. And that's what God wants for you. And you know, you hear about all our circumstance, and maybe some of that uh, resonates with you. And, and, and I think this, this next thing that I think we need to be aware of is less intuitive, is that we need to remember that spiritual battles are real. That there really is an enemy of our soul that would want to uh, distract and want to uh, destroy what God has built uh, in us. It says this in Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now I don't over-spiritualize everything, but, but there's a there's someone who would want to take the joy that God has for you in, in your marriage. Uh, now, one of the great tools God has given us is just simply to come together before him. If you're a couple, I think one of the most awkward things you can do is to pray together. But it's one of the most important things you can do. Where you say, let's come together before God and invite him into our relationship. Maybe for you, it's just start Start praying at meals. You know, you pray and then pray about one thing that's not the food. And by the way, rub-a-dub-dub, thank God for the grub. That doesn't count. Just want to let you know. Uh, is you start there. And then pray in, a, pray in a crisis. Pray in a conflict. How would your relationship change if you were having an argument and one of you stopped and said, you know what, we're not making any headway. Maybe we should pray about this. And by the way, don't pray at the person at that point. <laughs> God, we need to fix her. No, the, uh, uh, pray with the person about the issue. Because either God is real or he's not. Could God maybe show up in a miraculous way that couldn't happen unless you invited him? And then there's regular times of prayer. Uh, my wife and I were honestly better at it in the first years of our marriage than we are now. But uh, we would pray on a very regular basis uh, together. And then number five, partner with God to rebuild what is broken. That God will take the broken things of our life and that the pain that even maybe you've gone through, you'll say, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to go through that for anything. But in light of what God has brought us to, 
it was even worth it. The Apostle Paul said this about his ministry, and, and he was uh, put in prison and maligned for doing the right things. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we have this motivation because of what God has done for us. If, if you say, hey, I don't have this want to, to, to work on things and to make amends, I get it. But maybe the answer is just saying, Jesus, I just want to draw closer to you, and then I'll do what you want me to do. It says in 1 John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. It's his love that guides us and directs us. And maybe you'd be open for God even doing that right now in your life. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for uh, each and every person who's here today. And God, I, I don't know all that's gone up to, the, to this moment. But God, I know that, that you want to be with my friends in this moment. If you're here today and... What we talk about, this, this marriage, the ideal of it, it just seems so far-fetched because of what you've experienced in the past. I would just say, don't look at your past, look to God in this moment. Lord, I pray for my friends who are here today and, and their ultimate decision is to invite you into their lives. And if that's what you want, you can do that in this moment. You can say, Jesus, I want you in my life to be the leader and Lord of my life. And that will not only change your relationships, it will change your eternity. If you're married today and, and you're here uh, with your spouse, and you'd admit that maybe it's not a, a major problem, but there's some things to work through. I, I want to encourage you to do this. In fact, I want everyone who's married here today and they're with their spouse, will you go ahead and just reach out and will you, will you hold hands as we pray together? Now, if you're sitting next to an attractive person you'd like to be your spouse, uh, just keep your hands to yourself. That would be uh, appropriate. But seriously, uh, I'm going to pray and you just... You just maybe say to yourself, if, if this words ring true, I don't want you to, to say anything that would be inauthentic of you. But that you would pray something like this to God as you're holding hands. You say, dear God, I thank you for bringing us together. In that there have been great times of joy, but also seasons of struggle. And it's those seasons we bring to you. I bring those to you believing that you know what's best and that I'm at my best when I follow you. Help me to remember your great forgiveness as I forgive, your great patience with me as I show patience to my spouse. Let me lean into your wisdom and lead with your love as you do the work that only you can do. Help us to grow closer to you and to each other. And, and if that was your prayer, uh, the prayer of your heart before God for your marriage, Will you let your spouse know? Will you, just, will you just, as you're taking their hand, will you just gently squeeze her hand? And you just say, that's what I want for us. God, I, I thank you for my friends who are here today. And 
Uh, God, I pray that you've met them in a powerful way, whether it's in a marriage, maybe at some other point, God, but that we, we understand that we can have incredible hope in you and through you. Not only for our eternity, but for our present reality. And so we bring that to you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.